Android Heroes. Well, all right, people, welcome back to another episode of Celluloid Heroes. I am Sean Shapiro. And I'm Stephen Fine. And this week, Jesus, people, it's been a pretty bare month. It's been tough for us to try to find movies to see in the theater for the past few weeks. There's been nothing that's come out and was like, oh, we need to see that. You know, it's in the past couple of weeks, at least we did see Ready or Not. That was fun. But it's just been kind of just waiting for the fall season, pretty much. But we needed to see something in the theaters and we need to have an episode here for the week. And so we decided to go back a couple of weeks for something that did hit a little bit harder than we thought it would in the culture, a movie called Good Boys, the R-rated comedy from uh, producers Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, directed by and written by two people who were sort of like uh, involved with The Office, Gene Stupnitsky and Lee Eisenberg. They were the brain children behind this R-rated comedy about kids, teens. Tweens. Tweens, pretty, yeah, tweens. Getting into some R-rated fun. I mean, some bad language and, you know, it's kind of this... Coming of age. But it's like this sort of hard-edged coming of age movie because it has, it's an R-rated movie. It has the language and it has stuff you would expect from high school movies and more of... uh, teen movies of you know kids in high school but these are yeah but i mean as we both know we, we were both like cursing up a storm from the ages of eight or nine you know so by the time you're 12 in sixth grade you're you're saying some pretty nasty shit and so this is getting closer to what reality is like for teen boys so for people who are from the ages of 18 to however old you remember how silly you sounded saying all these nasty words when you were 12 years old when you didn't even know what the meaning was well that's part of the fun of the movie too when they don't know the meanings of these words and these things or how to pronounce them like when he says i'll be cooming right yeah so there's the fun stuff that they're playing with with these tweens and the language and the adult stuff going on in the movie so we decided to go and see that we saw it it's about three friends that are growing up and growing up in a different way growing up together growing up apart and also you know helping each other along the way that reminded us of a movie that we saw when we were in high school called The Girl Next Door that had three friends helping each other out and um, pushing each other and being there for each other. And so it reminded us well, of that. Emil Hirsch and Paul Dano and um, the, the other kid. Uh, what's his fucking name again? Chris Marquette. <laughs> as the tripod and The Girl Next Door. And um, I don't know, it was just a fun high school movie to go back to. And we liked it and just talk about it. And Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how it related to our <laughs> movie. I mean, I think it was just an excuse for us to watch it you found a rare kind of connection three friends three friends yeah Yeah. that's that's what you got they were the beanbag boys and they are the tripod it was it was like you know this the nickname for three friends that had this friendship at the core and so it was fun to go back to that and then another thing that doesn't quite relate uh, necessarily we did watch a documentary about one of our favorite directors especially of the 70s hal ashby it was his 90th birthday this week or what would have been his 90th birthday. Unfortunately, he did die in the year of our birth, 1988. We wanted to go back and and revisit his sort of story and just be in the nostalgic Hal Ashby air for that day. And so we watched the Hal Ashby documentary called Hal, and we'll talk about that and sort of Hal Ashby's career and that kind of stuff. I know it doesn't completely relate. Maybe this is going to be in a a different episode, but we are going to talk about it anyway. Because, you know, we, we will need any excuse to talk about Hal Ashby. Because fuck it. Yeah. We're building anyways. Because <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. We're going to go with it. We'll do that. We'll do all that. Good boys, the girl next door, and Hal. Right now. Look what I found at school today. What is it? 
have no idea. That's a tampon. Girls shove it up their buttholes to stop babies from coming out. An eighth grader told me that. I'm having a party tomorrow. You in? Yeah. Can Thor and Lucas come? They're so random. They're my best friends. We do everything together. There's gonna be girls at the party. Do you know what that means? Drama. No. Kissing. You do not want to go to Soren's party not knowing how to kiss. We could spy on my neighbor. She's a total nymphomaniac. She starts fires? No, she's a nymphomaniac. Someone who has sex on land and sea. This is what happens when you don't respect women. I respect women. My mom's my best friend. What about me? Okay, yeah. So, good boys. Good boys. Came out a couple weeks ago. Not the newest movie out there, but it did make money and it did hit the uh it did hit the box office in a way that we didn't think it would. We didn't think it would be a hit. You didn't think it would be a hit. I just didn't think it would be anything that would be worth seeing. I didn't really pay attention to all the advertising beforehand. So I, I knew it was coming. I saw like one trailer for it. I thought that could be funny. Yeah. And- but but then I was like I saw the reviews. It was like eighty percent for a while and i think it's like 79 now currently it's 79 percent, 87 audience score but still it's like that's a good place to be for an r-rated comedy oh yeah that's for sure. gonna be stupid um <laughs> so you know and then i just kept hearing people being like oh it's all good boys and cracked us up and it's like all right i could use some laughs yeah and it was produced by people that we like evan goldberg and seth rogan are definitely people that have a pedigree of making really great r-rated comedies jacob tremblay yeah, Oscar nominee Jacob Tremblay's in there from Room, if you guys like Room. What else has he been in more recently? I felt like he's been in one more thing that wasn't really that good. Well, he was in that movie Wonder. Right, yes. And everyone loves that movie. They loved it? You no, know, people love it. Yeah. Oh my God, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like Gabe said, it made, it made him cry. <laughs> yeah. Wonder, yeah, that uh, Owen Wilson, um, yeah. Jennifer but Aniston. Was Jennifer Aniston in that? He's been in a few things, though. Like he was in uh, The Book of Henry. That Colin oh, Trevor, yeah, my, yeah, God, yeah. But so is Jaden, uh, whatever his name is, who's in it. You know, the Bill Dan yeah. Brooke character. Yeah, he's been in a few things, but he is an Oscar-nominated actor now. Um, and he's also he's he's in Doctor Sleep. Yeah, he is the character from a uh, due date. Ethan Tremblay, Zach Galifianakis's character, is probably the uncle of Jacob Tremblay. They should do like a real life <laughs> fictional. <laughs> I like revisit the character <laughs> of uh, <laughs> of Ethan Tremblay. <laughs> and have him be the uncle of the actor Jacob Tremblay, who's incredibly more successful than he is. Ladies and gentlemen, I think Steven has had a stroke. Um, <laughs> I think he's mixing up the movie world and the real world and trying to make a sort of brainchild co- yeah, cosmic, sort of a Frankenstein like, monster yeah. of something. Um, but we but, have but to Zach Galifianakis is doing that. a Between Two Ferns movie. Did you see the trailer for that? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's a blending yeah. of reality and well that character world. has already been created as something that's you know fake yeah. and uh but so, established. Is, so is ethan tremblay and due date I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has gone off his rocker ladies and gentlemen no um, no, no no this is a this is a sound uh premise <laughs> <laughs> this is insane and it makes no sense but um, back to Jacob Tremblay, the Oscar-nominated actor from Room. He plays one of the good boys in, in this uh, in this trio here um, with Keith L. Williams and Brody Noon. This was the controversy where they had a double in blackface for the black kid. 
What? Yeah, they got called out. There was a photo taken Are on you serious? set that they had a little kid. Is in this black part of face. your stroke? No, no, this is, <laughs> this really happened. Oh. Also, I'm going to be laughing about the Ethan and Jacob Tremblay movie <laughs> like for years to come until it actually exists. Yeah, you make it. Okay, I won't make it. I mean, I'll just get Seth Rogen to produce it's out it. There, <laughs> the idea is out there now. <laughs> Starting Zach up now. Wait, what? But there's Jacob. a picture. There's about- a photo. Look, you can look it up. It's like behind the scenes. They got called out for putting a little white kid in blackface. And then like Seth Rogen had to announce an apology saying, what? we don't know who made that decision to do that. They needed a double for the black kid, right? To set up shots. Just get a little black kid. Apparently they couldn't get one what and the they put a little white kid in blackface. That's uh, It was bad news. And I saw a photo of this. I was like, yeah. oh my God. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, that someone thought to do that and what sucks is like of course it wasn't seth rogan's idea to do this it's just some idiot made a decision and it makes the entire movie look bad well apparently it didn't affect the box office <laughs> no no people forgot about it yeah at that point. the movie cost 20 million dollars and it's already made 70 wow so it was a pretty big success but yeah so it, it's just about these three friends who are growing up going from fifth grade to sixth grade making that transition wanting to be cooler wanting to hang out with the cool kids and sort of make those leaps and bounds but then uh, you know Jacob Tremblay is a little bit more sort of going towards the girls you know getting a little bit more, more mature faster than his other friends and so he's like wanting to be part of the cool kids his other friends are a little bit sort of stymied by their sort of adolescence a little bit and well the singing and then you yeah know, Thor the, his, his name is Thor um, who is one of his one of the friends and where's spike gelled hair he's a singer he really wants to sing and be in the choir and be a part of the rock of ages uh, he's play. a diamond study ring yeah but he's not gay right i mean there's it's it not, doesn't say it's not it's not stated or anything like that but it's like i feel like he was pretty you know i i guess he didn't really feel uh i just said he had a diamond study <laughs> ring yeah he had a diamond study <laughs> ring he sang he had spiked gelled hair. He was just, he was really, he was a, a unique, kid. funny kid. Yeah. And, and the kid who played him was hilarious. And then what was uh, the black kid's name? Keith L. Williams plays Lucas. The uh, It's a sort of timid friend who's always a rule follower. Yeah. He's very kind of sweet. Very sweet. His parents are getting divorced. Lil Rel and, yeah. um, and Retta are yeah, playing. Yeah, Lil Rel and Retta <laughs> playing the parents. They're it's really so great. Uh, that, like, every time Lil Rel talked, I was cracking up. Like, <laughs> no, he was just like, just everything he said was really funny in his character. <laughs> I know. It was really funny. And then the, the tension that him and Retta had between each other. And, and then just the way that Retta they were, again, because yeah. I haven't seen Retta since Parks and Rec. I don't know what else she's been in. She's but. probably done some other TV stuff, but uh, she's always funny. So that's always nice to yeah. have in there. Well, she's got a great dynamic with Lil Rel. Like, then, I want to see that marriage movie. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that divorce movie. It's like uh, Kramer yeah. versus Kramer with that family. With that, yeah, with that kid <laughs> going through it. But then Will Forte plays Jacob Tremblay, whose name is Max, his father. And he's uh, always a funny presence, too. Will Forte coming in. The way that he finds... Jacob Tremblay, yeah. Max masturbating. It's like at American the Pie of the movie. It it's is. Like, it's like the update of American <laughs> yeah, Pie. Yeah, it is. The where father's... he comes in and talks to him about masturbation, and yeah, and but it's a lot younger. <laughs> yeah, I know because you start masturbating a lot younger. Yeah, and that's and more realistic. I think so. Of a scenario, but yeah, he's he's just like I'm just proud of you. 
growing up. But like thinking that as like a father, as like you seeing your kid masturbate for the first yeah, time, you wouldn't be mad. No, you'd be like, you'd understand. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. oh, I get it. You know? Oh, it's time. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's that time. They wouldn't understand, but that's a, no, a they real. They don't want you to know. No, but that's a real reaction, and I liked Will Forte's presence there. He yeah. did a really great job. He's um, going out of town. Yeah. And makes him promise to not touch his drone, which is a, really the MacGuffin of the whole movie. A little bit of a Ferris Bueller kind of deal there. Yeah. Don't touch the drone. Don't touch it. It's very expensive. Well, well risky business. The Ferrari. Don't touch the... Um, well, yeah, but he's Don't not touch the stereo system. He's not taking it out for a drive or anything like that. Well, the Porsche is also risky business. Well, yeah, it's all risky business. <laughs> it's, all, yeah, it's, it's all risky business. Everything goes back, but it's also teen comedy, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, but like risky business came before Ferris Bueller. True, true. It really set the template. It did, with the car and everything like that. 1981. Yeah. The uh, real thing is, it's always about a party. The, Getting to a party. Yeah, it's, it's mostly these movies are about being cool and wanting to go to the cool kid party and that kind of stuff. And so one of these kids, Soren, one of the the, uh, the uh, young Asian kid who's like this like, fucking... So like, funny. I don't even know how to describe he's him. He's so cool. Like, yeah, but he's like this... He's androgynous. And like... He's cool. Really like young looking, like doesn't look like... Like a baby would, face. Yeah, like really. A little like, baby <laughs> face, but he's got such a like presence. It's... He would be like one of those in like a weird fantasy movie he's like the young emperor yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that all these older men would listen to but he would be like this kid giving them orders but his tone yeah i mean his tone is just so emotionless and it's so fucking funny to see like a sweet cute kid talking like this dressing all hip and fashionable yeah, yeah being the most hip fashionable kid at school and like when him and jacob tremblay are like talking about like kissing have you ever kissed before He's like, yeah. And he's like, where? On her mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because it's like that little test, and he didn't know how to answer it. He's like, he's like, dope, man. <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. He's like, really cool. That's the kid whose party that Jacob Tremblay is invited to, and he's going to be going there. It's a kissing party. He wants to kiss. The girl he loves. Yeah. girl that he loves. And that's the whole sort of, you know, momentum of this movie where they're trying He loves to- her. He's never even spoken to her. No, but they want to get to the party. Well, it's, it's funny about- because it, it's, it's, it's tween going through a high school movie setup you <laughs> yeah. know getting to the party and like there's the cool kids so they're all talking like they're in high school but they're clearly out of their element and it's just funny to watch them try to behave older than they are but the three boys don't know how to kiss so they've got to figure out how to kiss so first they start looking it up online but then they decide to spy on the female neighbor who's like in high school and she's got a new boyfriend, and they're going to watch her kiss and see how it's done. So they take out the drone to spy on him. Of course, the girls catch the drone. And that's sort of the other driving force of the movie is this drone that gets sort of taken and then destroyed. And they have to get the money for the drone back and get the new <laughs> drone back before their dad comes home. I love how like Max, Jacob Tremblay, is like, we're not going to get to go to the party because... My dad will come home and be pissed. Then we'll all get grounded. Basically, like, (laughs) roping them into his fucking mistake. Yeah, and the other friends are reluctant to go with him, but they are all friends, and they want to go... They're beanbag boys. Yeah, exactly. They have this beanbag boy group. It's like those friends that you had in your neighborhood that you were friends with and close with that you were only friends because... They of the proximity. Around. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd get together at each other's houses at night and play games, but these kids did that too, and they did it on beanbags, and that's why they're called the beanbag boys. It's very yeah. simple. Every time the character <laughs> asks, he goes, why are you the beanbag boys? And he's like, because we had beanbags. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> Is it because you had beanbags? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the only thing tying themselves to each other because they're not very much alike, these kids. They have very different interests and they have very different aspirations, but yeah. they are tied they to support each other. this group. And yeah, they do support each other. Being bad boys for life. Right, right. But Bad boys for life. Very young age where friendships are kind of fickle. You know, I had friends in middle school that I wasn't friends with in high school and friends in elementary school that I wasn't friends with in middle school. And that kind of stuff was very weird that I would like have friends for a while and then like then I would be friends with other people, you know, and then that would just move on because other friends would go to different schools and that kind of stuff. And you those, hold on to the important ones. Yeah, I don't know if I had any. I, don't, I didn't have any friends from like elementary school that transitioned to high school. Yeah, I think I only had two from elementary school and then one, yeah, one from elementary school, one from middle school that transitioned to high school. I had kids that I knew from elementary school and middle school that went to high school and then I became friends with them more in high school, yeah, but not like close friends that I stayed with from middle school and elementary school. Because like that, that's the, also what this movie is about, of kids growing up and becoming different and going their separate ways from that transition from elementary school to middle school. Right. And becoming finding, new people. Yeah, finding what you're interested in and going that way, like Lucas was a rule follower and he became one of the, you know, sort of um, scab. Yeah. There's bullying, uh, against kind of, bullying, kind of bullying police student committee against bullying. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, uh, Thor gets to try out for the, um, rock of ages musical, yeah, <laughs> which is a beautiful performance. And then yeah. it's hilarious watching Tremblay at the end of the movie. Like, the girl he's been trying to get to the entire movie, they're like broken up after like two weeks and then he's already dating the next one and then he's already dating a new one. Well, everybody knew that kid who would just be into girls yeah. and like they would have another girl and they would have and another girl and that was it and that was it and then everybody else would have their things and it was interesting to see that because it's the movie about that time where you're finding what you like and finding what you're interested in going with that and then you find friends amongst those groups of people. You're friends with people that have the same interests instead of friends with people just because. Yeah. And that's kind of what this movie's about in the end, is finding sort of what you're interested in, but also keeping those friends too, in a way, but also moving on and growing. Yeah. But it's funny too. <laughs> the movie's funny. I mean, I, it, I, mean it's, 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 I mean, the whole situation with the drone tests their friendship the yeah. most. I mean, that's what puts their friendship to the test and makes them realize they might be going different directions. But I think there's a reason they're friends. They do have a, a connection, like a chemistry with each other that was developed over the years they've been doing the Bean Bad Boys thing. Well, it's time. It doesn't have anything to do with like who they actually are as people, I don't think. I mean, but yeah, but they're in sync on certain things. Like when they break out into like, we're bad, we're bad, you know. like That's like universal, I feel like. They have moments, though, as a group of friends. It's not like they're just a disparate group of kids who just like fell together. It's like they are friends, but your first friends are the neighborhood friends before you really start to get into the school friendships But the point is, is those don't last. No. So, I mean, yeah, every once in a while. It's very rare that those relationships last, but- they're strong and they mean something at the time because they help you grow into the person that you're going to become. Yeah. And so I think that's important. And I think that's what this movie sort of showcases. And it's funny that, that it's Jacob Tremblay in the movie. I feel like it's a funny career move for him to make. And it's funny talking about even a career move with a kid this young, but he is an Oscar nominated actor at this point. I mean, Haley Joel Osment didn't go do like a comedy, like a teen tween comedy. I think he knew that he had to work with Seth Rogen. I Maybe mean, when looked, Seth Rogen comes to you, oh, yeah, he probably true. has seen Sausage Party, Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> And then maybe you also you look at um, Haley Josman's career and be like, how can I not be like that? Because <laughs> you know, obviously you know where he is now. Maybe uh, uh, Jacob Tremblay won't be as cute as he is as a little boy. 
We'll see. But we'll uh, see what happens when he gets to his uh, high school years. That is always what happens, though, with these young some of them break through. Actors. Yeah, yeah, they do. Some are able to, but we'll see. And it, it's a good move for him, I think, to make in in, in this movie. But I think overall, it's 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 a good comedy. It's not great. I don't think it's pretty hilarious. It's funny, but I didn't think it, it like broke necessarily like anything it didn't make me be like oh my god you gotta see good boys i was just like you know it's, it's fun it's good well i mean it, if someone says what's a good comedy to go see i'd say good boys that's in theaters now i mean there's not options. that's what i'm saying but like what is a good comedy that came out over the last year i mean if you want to laugh at something i would say go laugh at the beach bump the beach- <laughs> Yeah, uh, but com- broad comedy. Yeah, broad comedies. It's hard for me to like suggest a broad comedy these days because I think there's comedy in so many things. Like, if you want to laugh, go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think you know, like that's what I laugh at. You know, it's like that's me cracking up. But you were also cracking up at Good Boys. Well, it was funny in that you know in that broad comedy in sense. that entertaining sort but of way. Sometimes I need more. You know, I, I not sometimes I mostly sometimes. need more to be like. To, to, but you got your more by seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood twice in theaters. Yeah, I know. So you're not going to go enjoy a, a broad comedy and just say, "Well, it got me to laugh and it was pretty damn funny and it what and it wasn't a bad movie, so it must be a good comedy." Yeah, yeah, but it's it's also just like there are these things that come out. It won't. I don't know if it'll be you know a classic or be remembered in time. The old school is a classic, right? Yeah, Ferris Bueller, those kind of things. You know, you don't get those. I guess very road very trip often. is a classic. Yeah, well, we're talking about just Todd Phillips movies now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Girl Next Door, I think, is not a classic. <laughs> Maybe well, it, it is. goes along with this. I, I mean, two thousand four. Maybe it goes along with this, where it's it just like it. But it felt like a bigger moment when it came out. Well, it also has great actors in it, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Let's yeah. move on. Let's go to the girl next door now. Actually, let's talk about this movie. This movie from two thousand four, a film by Luke Greenfield. If you didn't know, <laughs> but also you know, written by a bunch of other people and story by a couple other people, and so it's kind of jumbled in the way that it was coming about, but. I think the core of most it, of those comedies are, yeah. Well, it's, you know, there are some that have those sort of auteur-driven kind of things. But is Saving Silverman a classic? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Saving Silverman is a classic, and yeah. I think and Orange it's like, County is a classic. Yeah, it's a classic in the, like the stupid sense of comedy. Well, it's I think it's on maybe on par with Dumb and Dumber in a way. I mean, like I don't know. It's it's that funny to me. Saving Silverman is like what makes it stupid, but also it's always Dumb and Dumber. Dumber, it's stupid. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. It's maybe a little I don't dumber. Think it's, I don't think it's as genius as Dumb Dumber. I don't think it like goes to that place where it's like... <laughs> no, it's not like stupid people in a smarter movie than it is or should be, I guess. But yeah. it still makes me laugh that much. And so it's that funny. But yeah. And well, does Girl Next Door fall into that classic teen comedy? What, what we did realize is it basically is the modern version of Risky Business. It, except with a, instead of a hooker, it's a porn star. Right. Yeah. It definitely takes risky business into the modern age. But, you know, Emil Hirsch is the Tom Cruise character. He's very clearly feels like he's missing out on something because he's so focused in his studies in school. Well, I mean, Tom Cruise is part of the young enterprisers yep. of America. And, this, and um, Matthew Kidman, Emil Hirsch in the movie, is student council president. Yeah. And he's trying to bring this kid, Sam Young, to the U.S. He's this Cambodian kid who's fucking a genius and he's supposed Einstein, to be yeah. this new Einstein and cure cancer. And so he's trying to, he's raised uh, $25,000 to bring a kid over from Cambodia to study at a Marin American high school. I mean, that's pretty sort of ambitious for a high school kid. And so he's yeah. like a good kid. He's a good kid trying to get a full ride to Georgetown through this uh, scholarship program. And he's gotten in. 
He got He's gotten in. in, but he needs to get the scholarship. Yeah, his to parents go. are too poor. Doesn't work. Haven't worked hard enough to fucking that's pay a for lie, the college. Because look at the house they live in. Yeah, they're they live in a very rich, nice neighborhood. The school, the whole school, is clearly full of rich kids uh, who go to the beach and skip out on class. The parents the whole- are too selfish, I think, to with their lifestyle. And don't want to sacrifice like the orgy so parties. Like, you, you need to learn how to make your weekends. own way. Yeah. You need to learn how to make your own way. So Matthew Kidman's trying to learn how to make his own way. But he also sees the girl next door. This new girl moves in next door. And uh, she's the most drop-dead gorgeous thing anyone in the movie has ever seen or anyone watching the movie. <laughs> anyone in the seen. movie? <laughs> Any, anyone in the movie, the, in the movie universe, <laughs> the movie universe <laughs> has ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> Enter... Alicia Cuthbert. Yeah. Uh, what, what's her name? Um, Kate Bauer. Kate Bauer. Was she? Uh, is that what her name? Was she Jack Bauer's daughter? She was Jack Bauer's daughter. I didn't know that. Oh, that's when I first encountered her from Twenty Four. I've watched the. Yeah. I watched like the first three seasons of Twenty Four until I was like, yeah, this is the same fucking thing over and over again. She was in Love Actually. Oh. Yeah, Never and that's that. the first time I saw her. She had a small little role as a hot American girl mm. yeah. who's really attracted to this really nerdy, ugly British guy. In love, actually, and and then of course, the girl next door. I mean, I remember people seeing that poster, you know, and people were like, "Who the hell is that right. on that poster?" She's going to be a star, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, no more. Now, nah, but Olivia like, Wilde has a small little part in there. There are some people that if, have small parts in this movie that have gone on to much bigger and greater things than Alicia Cuthbert. Yeah, um, but, but she's great in the movie. Yeah, she does play an amazing role in the movie and so she does play this girl next door that comes in as this mysterious presence next door of this sort of overachiever kid who's kind of looking for something to make his life better he's like this kid who's done the straight and narrow this whole, his whole life and is looking for something to remember high school by at the beginning of the movie under pressures playing while all these other kids are having great fun high school experiences and this kid Matthew Kibben Emil Hirsch has just come to the realization that he has never done anything crazy with his life he's never taken a chance and he's trying to remember some great moments of high school and he can't his two friends Paul Dano, Chris Marquette, Eli, and um, Klitzy. <laughs> Klitzy. Yeah, Paul Dano plays a character named Klitz. And they, they're just kind of like nerds. They're yeah. pretty nerdy. Um, Eli's an AV kid. He's into the, you know... Making the, movies. Making movies. And Paul Dano's a pretty nerdy dude and pretty sort of against risk-taking like Lucas yeah. in Good Boys. He's always the one who's scared when Emile Hirsch is thinking about running out you and know, Eli's going too far and uh, he's always yeah. trying to scale them back a little bit. So you got these three friends, you got the tripod of these people. And then this girl comes in to kind of stir things up with this overachiever kid trying to get into Georgetown. He falls in love with her and goes down the dark path of, you know, sort of, of the porn world. Yeah. But um, I, I think it's really interesting how they meet. He's watching her from his bedroom and he's watching her undress. He can't look away and she catches him. And then comes over, makes him think that she's going to tell on him, and then takes him out and makes him strip in the middle of the street. So she yeah. starts to bring him out of his shell, and then literally wants to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then wants to get to know him. And like they have this really nice conversation at a diner, and it's clear that she's attracted to him. He's like this sweet, cute kid, and there's something special about him. But she she can see that he needs to be brought to life. Well, she's like that opposite of him, where it's like, you know, opposites attract, they say, opposites attract, obviously, and then those kinds of things can bring the best parts out of the other person, where she's a porn star, he's a, a kind of straight-laced kid, and she wants to sort of push him to be better, to be more adventurous. Yeah, and so she eventually gets him out to a party, which is a great scene where the jocks notice her, because she's the hottest 
person at the party yeah. and they try to kick Emile Hirsch out and then he takes control. He's finally like, he hasn't kissed her yet. He's had all these opportunities, but he's, he's such a nerd. He's so scared. He, he's never taken that kind of risk before it, but she's built him up to this point enough to come back and jut himself into a conversation and just kiss her. And, and then do that turns into a beautiful 360 <laughs> spinning shot. One of the best 360 uh, kissing shots I've ever seen to uh, this year's love by I David mean, Gray. It's a little bit forced. Classic. <laughs> Oh, it still works. I don't know if it does. It's a classic use of this year's love. Oh well, I mean, I don't. I, I just didn't. Uh, I, I didn't dig the three sixty. But you felt kiss. the moment. I just felt it. Well, it was too. It was too much for me. That moment was too much for me. I think it, back it, in the day, it was too much for you. I mean, at the moment, at the time, I was like, I want to be this dude. I want to, yeah. you know, of course. But I was that age at the time, and now looking back as a thirty-one-year-old man, uh, I'm like. Mm, you know, I, I would have done that differently. You wouldn't have gone up and kissed? No, no, I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have made the 360. Yeah, I wouldn't have chosen to do the 360 They needed shot. to give it some kind of momentum. It couldn't just be him kissing her and then cut or just a static. You need movement. What about uh, a bird's eye up? No. <laughs> yeah, that looked worse. No. Uh, there's there's a better way to do it. But uh, yeah, it, was, yeah, it, was, okay. it was just too classic for that moment. And that It was perfect for that fucking moment. Um, maybe a little too many of the cuts and of the 360. Anyways, there's a great sense of humor to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is. I mean, like Eli and Paul Dano, I mean, Chris Marquette and Paul Dano, they definitely add some really good humor to it. And then, and then yeah. Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. First time I saw him and I was like, who is this badass motherfucker? Yeah. I wanted to see him in more movies. He was like, he comes in just playing basically Alicia Cuthbert's pimp. But porn not, producer? Yeah, yeah, porn producer. But he kind of pushes her more into the industry and gets her gigs and stuff like that and then comes in to kind of stir things up a little bit to bring her yeah. back a little bit into the industry after Emil Hirsch kind of fucks things up and brings her a motel to Yeah, I think that's a great her. sequence. Like That's a sequence where the movie kind of feels like it gets real for a second and this kid's about to use this girl who really likes him he finds just out. because he finds out she works in porn. So right. she, he thinks... Okay, well, I might as well just get sex from it because. Well, he takes the suggestion of his pervy friend too. Yeah, but, but what's he thinking that he can't be with her because she's a porn star? I mean, he freaks out when he sees that she's a porn well, star. Well, yeah, and then he thinks, well, yeah, she's I, from I, a different world. Yeah, he can't be with her. How could he ever date a porn star? How would his parents like accept that? So he's just going to get. It, she and, was just a beautiful girl, right? You know. Well, so but so he's just going to get what he can out of her. Well, I think that's what Eli is trying to push, yeah. right? But then he and, realizes what he's doing when he's yeah. there, and he stops it, and then it gets real. But yeah, but you feel for her, and you feel for him. Yeah, like it's how, a real moment. How two people would react to each other. They actually really liked each other, but they're coming from these two drastically opposite places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a real moment, and then that's where it sort of like hits a crux. The relationship hits some muddy water. And that's when Timothy Olyphant shows up right. and tries to take her back to the porn world. And then Emil Hirsch and his two buddies chase her into the porn world and uh, get into some fun shenanigans. Yeah, there's some fun things happening when the nerdy kids go to a porn exposition. Yeah. And it's really fun what happens there. Paul Dano is really funny there. And so it gets... Yeah, the it, ugly it's a funny conversation. Yeah, yeah. Am I ugly? <laughs> yeah. That, that's such, that yeah. was such a great surprise because you didn't think this character would ever care about that. And for him to be that, but you're also like he, kind of vulnerable. <laughs> he's so vulnerable in that moment, in the middle of a porn convention, and, but also, to his best friend. Like he's like not obviously a 
good looking guy. No, because so like, everyone's funny thinking moment. the whole yeah. movie that this is the ugliest kid of, <laughs> yeah. of the group, <laughs> yeah. you know. But he he ends up hooking up with a porn star. Well, yeah, and he's and apparently well. he is the biggest dick. And of them. apparently, a man is the one that cares the most about it. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> I never realized that it was a, a kid, a guy at the front of the group watching this porn video. Just wait for this guy; he's huge. He's huge. Yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, kids. Kid. Kids are are funny. Yeah. No, Kid, kids say the darndest things. <laughs> they are. But yeah, in the end, it's a, it's definitely a risky business play, but it also does a little bit of a twist on it for the modern age. And I think it does that well. I think... They the come end, up with a good idea. Yeah, in the end, they produce a sex education video and twist it around on Timothy Oliphant's bad guy. So it's, it's a really fun sort of twist that comes in. And he in. makes a shit ton of money from it. It's like the yeah. top grossing sex education video video because they used real porn stars and really showed penises and all the anatomy of I'm surprised that they didn't like actually do that you know take that after idea. that movie <laughs> came out yeah, I know people probably would make a lot of money you get kids to pay attention in class that's the hell idea but I mean it's a maybe, maybe it's selling out a little too controversial though maybe it's like you gotta show them porn stars and big boobs and what reality is not in order to get them to pay attention to what they should do it's just stupid it's experience that's where you learn not in a classroom yeah. from a TV. Movies. I feel like movies. <laughs> the right movies. The right movies can teach you how to, you know. I mean, I think that's where I learned French kissing from, like when I was little, was watching movies. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. What? Did they tongue in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? No, that, that was just one of the jokes. When the older brother revives the sister yeah. and then the younger brother asks, so where'd you learn that? And the kid goes, French Mo- class. Oh, yeah. And then like later in the movie, the kid finds out he's like oh i get it french class that's and, great and that's like exactly where the movie ends yeah <laughs> and that's like the the joke of the movie yeah but i digress <laughs> <laughs> but the girl next door is fun i mean that was a stroke <laughs> no 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 that was related um okay no the girl next door is a fun movie from 2004 so if you want to go back and check that out uh it's it's out there to go back and check out i mean at least again Cuthbert no real connection to the tripod and the beanbag boys but he was searching for it he just wanted to watch girl next door again it reminded me of it it just reminded me of it and it was you know it's a, it's a young kids movie it's a comedy it's an r-rated comedy pushing boundaries pushing boundaries for sure so there you go you know timothy Olfant. paul dano Paul Dana. I mean, he's, it's funny Olivia to see Wilde. He's the most successful of is he? the movie. I'd yeah. say Olivia Wilde's more successful. This is just something we were talking about. I mean, ask, who's we'll, more popular? we'll ask you. No, no, not popular. Who's more successful? I'm not. Success in popularity. Are, are you saying who's more critically acclaimed? Yeah, Paul Dana. Exactly. But that's not what we're talking about. Well, what are we if talking about? If you're asking an average person on the street who Paul Dano is or who Olivia Wilde. That. I don't care about that. But that's the thing is that's... I don't think they know either of them. To tell you the truth. <laughs> people, people know Olivia Wilde. I really don't know if they do. How, how? What age group are we talking about? College? Oh, yeah. No, college kids would not know who Olivia Wilde is. I guarantee you. You don't think college kids win Salt Booksmart? They did, maybe, but they don't know who Olivia Wilde is. The actress, Olivia Wilde? She's been in a lot yeah, of Yeah, but things. to them, it's a director. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> they, they must have seen is. her in some movies. In what? If they saw her in the last five years? And she's not just in her in the last. I think that's her. I I think that might have been her last role. That you're insane. She came out in a vigilante, which was in India. In India, she's been in uh, a couple other things. Tron Legacy, teenagers saw that. She's been in a couple other things. The Lazarus Effect, horror movies. Yeah, she was in Vinyl. She was in Life Itself. She was in (laughs) Meadowland. Yeah. Okay. She's been in a couple things. 
But still, I think she's not really focusing on being an actress anymore. I think she's focusing on being a director. I'm happy for her. The Ballad of Richard Jewell, the new Clint Eastwood movie. She is... Oh, yeah, she's in that. The star with Sam Rockwell. I mean, she's fourth build, I guess, but... Is she? She was top on, on IMDb. Kathy Bates is in it, too. That's an Oscar-winning actress. Or, you know, people know Olivia Wilde from The O.C., obviously. <laughs> well, that's when I first saw her. But, yeah, okay. The, yeah, but really, Olivia you first Wilde. saw her in Girl Next Door. Was Girl Next Door before the OC? 2004? No, it's the same same time. They same, probably filmed at the same time. Yeah, same time that we came into Olivia Wilde. But again, we digress. Olivia Wilde. <laughs> 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 um, but okay, yeah, the Girl Next Door, yeah, it's good fun, along with good boys, good fun. But let's switch gears. Uh, let's switch gears completely to go to a documentary we saw and to highlight a director that we love. That we never really, we rarely get to do this. We rarely get to talk about documentaries, about directors and directors as a whole, unless we're doing a retrospective or something like that. But there's no real reason that we ever get to talk about Hal Ashby, but it's always necessary. His birthday was this past week, and he would have turned 90, and he died way too young before his time at 59 in 1988 when we were born. We didn't get to experience him while he was alive. He made some of the best movies of the 70s of all time. He's an important man. He's an important director and important to make a movie about, important to talk about. So let's talk about the documentary itself, How, that came out last year, directed by Amy Scott. And it's basically just a retrospective, I mean, of his career and of him as a person, kind of to get insight into him. There's really not much about Hal Ashby out there. There really isn't, like very few taped interviews, very few video interviews. And so before this, it was really even hard to really know much about the man himself. It was nice to get some insight into him as a person, into the person that made all these great movies. I mean, like the movies will highlight... The Landlord. Yeah, he started, well, he started as an editor and he's edited some great movies. He won an Oscar for editing in the heat of the night. Did he win the Oscar? Yeah, yeah. How did you forget that we actually had this conversation? We did have this conversation, but I thought he he was nominated and didn't win. No, he won. Remember in the in the movie? Oh, the he got movie, up he and got accepted the speech. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he did get up and accept an Oscar. Okay, so yeah, he's edited some of the great movies uh, for uh, Norm Jewison. Yeah. He was really great friends with Norman Jewison, found him on the lot, basically. Norman Jewison found How Ashby on the lot editing another movie and was like, why don't you come edit one of my movies for me? And they became great friends and won an Oscar for one of the first movies he edited himself in the heat of the night. And he edited The Cincinnati Kid and The Loved One and The Russians The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, The Thomas Crown Affair. He's had some really great experience with some really great films before even directing. And then he took it upon himself to direct a movie that Norman Jewison was going to direct himself, and then Jewison handed over to Ashby, and Jewison produced it with Ashby, called The Landlord, which starred Bo Bridges and was a really ahead of its time social commentary movie about race relations in New York City in the early 70s. And so it was really great. If you've never seen The Landlord, I mean, it's amazing. Hal Ashby was just this fucking guy who really cared about the underdog, really cared about people and cared about race and cared about social conditions and issues going on. Yeah, well, he was very angry oh, yeah. about injustice. Very much. And so you'd see that come out in his movies, but... He could somehow do it with comedy. He would he would let his anger out through comedy in these movies, and it's uh, the documentary kind of points out how each movie kind of relates to an aspect of his life and who he is as a human being. And when it starts to describe who he is, you can see so much how this one particular movie connects to that part of his life, or this you know. So, the landlord was him coming out of Vietnam and everything going on in the 60s and putting these characters first that he felt weren't being talked about or the stories weren't being told. 
so that was like his social injustice movie that really started him off. But then he goes way more personal with Harold and Maude. Yeah. Which is an all-time classic. Yeah, I mean, he goes from the landlord to make Harold and Maude, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of before. Then I'll just go through the list of the movies in the 70s that he's made because like some of the best movies out there. Harold and Maude, The Last Detail with Jack Nicholson, Shampoo with Warren Beatty, Bound for Glory about Woody Guthrie, starring David Carradine, Coming Home with Jane Fonda and John Boyd, both won Oscars for their performances for that movie. And Be- Dernsey. And Bruce Dern, yeah, of course, Bruce Dern's in that movie. And being there to end the 70s, 1979 with Peter Sellers, one of the best movies ever fucking made. Ever. I mean, being yeah. there. It's it, his crowning achievement. Yeah, and that's what caps off the 70s. And all these movies talk, yeah, as you said, about uh, highlighting a different aspect of sort of who how Ashby was as a person. And it's unfortunate that he did go through the 70s and make all these amazing movies and innovative movies. Bound for Glory was the first shot that used a steady cam in any film. And so there was innovative camera techniques going on and just freedom that he had that with the actors. And that's the thing that people loved about him was his ability to work with actors and ability to work with a collaborative team of people and just let people do what they wanted to do and the freedom to do what they needed to do in order to make a great film. And it's also funny that in the 70s that people didn't, people trusted him. And even if he didn't have a script completed, they would let him make the movie and it would become a great movie. It was just different, a different time in the 70s, a more free time to make movies in a different way. And then when the 80s came around, the studios had more control over what was being produced and they wanted to see scripts even more before the movie yeah. was being made and all that kind of stuff. Pressure was being put on Hal Ashby to, to make movies the way that they wanted to make them and not how he was used to making them. And they didn't turn out as well. And his 80s were really kind of a, a decline for him and kind of killed him. It killed him, yeah. Which is... Pretty, I think the 80s killed Sergio Leone and Hal Ashby. Yeah. <laughs> Studios killed both of those directors. Yeah. It's sad and tragic, but he did die too early and only made uh, a few movies in the 80s. Made None uh, of which we've seen. We haven't seen any of his 80s movies. No, no, unfortunately. He made, he made a concert movie, The Rolling Stones. He made 8 Million Ways to Die with Jeff, with, Bridges. With Jeff Bridges. And he made another movie with John Voight called Looking to Get Out. And none of them were really good. None of them were supposed to be good because of that studio involvement, because they didn't let him make the movie. They would take away the movie. They would recut it. Right. But they they tried to do that with a bunch of movies. Like They tried to take away Harold and Maude from him. There were ways that he fought them off in the 70s. He could, but the 80s, uh, those guys were tougher, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it killed him. Especially, I think, after Heaven's Gate, like the disaster of Heaven's Gate, basically all studios were like, uh, fuck the artist filmmaker. They're going to tank our entire studio if we just let them do what they want. Yeah, they were all about making money after that yeah. and not the artist, and Hal Ashby was a true artist, and he needed to make movies a certain way. When he couldn't do it, the movies didn't turn out well. Yeah, he was always smoking joints in his editing suite. They would say, like, you'd walk into the editing suite and it would just be full of marijuana but he was a productive weed smoker and yes. he was a, a, a it was a focus yeah and that's what's crazy is that studios would use that against him use his drug use against him when it was actually a source of creativity for him a source of sort of productivity for him yeah. instead of a downfall and that was really a tragic part of the way that he became a pariah in hollywood because of how, how the producers and how the studios badmouthed him in the public wrote him off as a junkie which he was really upset about and what really killed him. Yeah. Which sucks. But uh, it was an interesting documentary. I mean, it definitely... Interviews I mean, well, it's, some... It's not like it, it, well, it's not like any sort of like innovative documentary or anything like that. It no, just, I mean, it's just like a... It's what I wanted from a Hal yeah. Ashby documentary. It gave insight into just the Just like the De Palma documentary was... 
Well, know. I think, well, that was a little more interesting just because you were hearing it all from De Palma himself. So that was... Yeah, cool. it helps. That definitely helps. But like, what, what other filmmaker documentaries are there that have like, you know, rocked your world? Well, Milius was a great documentary about John Milius. That was really cool. The way that it was produced and the way that it was made, it definitely... Uh, well, I think it was... was riveting. This felt riveting, not riveting but in the same way, but it felt like you were being wrapped up in Hal Ashby's world and life and aesthetic. You could feel him through the documentary. I think that's yeah, the greatest sure. success you can get from a documentary about a filmmaker. No, and and I think that it achieves everything that it set out to do and definitely adds more to Hal Ashby as a person because he is so unknown a lot of the time, in a lot of ways. There aren't a lot of things to sort of go to when looking for information about Hal Ashby. And so this is, I think, the definitive work on Hal Ashby. Yeah. If you want to know about Hal Ashby, Besides this is where the, you get I mean, there's a book written about him. Right, sure, sure. It's a, There is a book. But this is, yeah, the definitive movie about Hal Ashby. But just go watch the Hal Ashby movies of the 70s. Specifically, in my opinion, uh, Harold and Maude, Coming Home, and Being There. Those are, yeah, the three essentials, probably. But, I mean, people love shampoo. I really love The Last Detail. It's great. Oh, last detail, I, yeah, it's great. It, but I think it's... The power of Harold and Maude and how it hit me and how coming home hit me on an emotional level, how being there hit me, how it like transcended above those other movies and what it was doing. It was well, like, yeah, Last Detail is about military injustice, so it's hard to sort of cling to that. Yeah. As hard, it's hard to have a, as much of an emotional reaction to that. And I think the landlord does have that too, where it has that emotional reaction. It has that cling and, yeah. and there's that beauty to it. And that's his first film. So there's definitely an importance there. And I think it's great and it holds up in a modern you know, sense. Yeah. But I think the ones that kind of transcend and become timeless are Harold and Maude coming home and being there is just yeah. <sighs> perfect. Yeah, it's the best. So if you're going to check out at least one of them, check out being there, your mind will be blown. I think Peter Sellers, one of the best performances of his career. And Shirley MacLaine is amazing in it. Check that out. I mean, just check out all of Hal Ashby's 70s movies and celebrate Hal Ashby as he should be celebrated and remember him as he should be remembered as one of the best directors ever. So yeah, that's Hal. Hal Ashby. That's on Amazon Prime if you want to stream that now. If you want to take a look back at Hal Ashby and look more into his career. But let's talk about next week. Next week, we've got a big movie coming out next week. A huge sequel. It. Chapter 2. Huge cast. Huge movie. Exciting. Not getting like amazing reviews right now. Um, getting a little, a little mixed. I don't care. But they're saying the performances are great. So that's really what I'm looking forward to as well. Looking for some great Bill Hader. Looking for some great McAvoy. Some great Chastain. And uh, Ransone. Some Ransone. <clears throat> and then we're going to talk about um, Dreamcatcher, right? Dreamcatcher and Stand By Me? Yeah. Both of those movies? Both of those movies? <laughs> <laughs> Dreamcatcher has the older kids, you know, that is, and the younger oh, kids that is actually monster. true. We should talk about Dreamcatcher. <laughs> and I'll shit on it. You will, you can love it. Okay. And that'll be fun. Well, we got to watch it together. Yeah, we'll watch it together. And we'll watch, we'll see it in chapter two and talk about some other Stephen King probably. So all that. Um, until then, check us out on Instagram at Celluloid Heroes Pod. I'm at Sean Shep Zero. I'm at Stephen I Fine. Email us. Talk to us. Ask us any questions. Ask us a question. We'll answer it on the podcast. Pod at gmail.com. Again, also stream Love Shot on Netflix. Check it out. Give it a rating and review. Rate and review the podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. That helps a lot. And, um, you know, as always, you guys keep watching movies. Because that's what we're doing here. <laughs>